Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you here with us this morning. Nice that you're able to join us on this cooler day on uh, this Sunday, Thanksgiving Sunday, we'll call it indeed. Welcome to those who are joining us on Zoom. Nice to have you with us as well. Uh, Jacob and uh, Bernadette, uh, we welcome them this morning. Uh, they were with us uh, twice before since last spring, and uh, we welcome them today. But something happened and on August 26th, and uh, well, uh, we welcome this morning, we welcome Mr. and Mrs. Taggett, Jacob and Bernadette, folks, here they are. <laughs> We're going to ask Jacob to come now for uh, read the scriptures for us and lead us in our prayer as well, if you would. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you once more. I think this is the third time. The other times were a little warmer, but that's okay. We still have thankful hearts and... Yeah, uh, just so glad, so thankful that, uh, thank you for having me and my wife now and for your hospitality. Thank you for your prayers as we've recently started our new life together in marriage. And let's all prepare our hearts now like the bride before the bridegroom, the church before Christ, to continue worshiping our God together through the reading of his word. This morning I'm going to be reading 2 Samuel, chapter 12, and that'll be verses 1 through 15, 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. If you're familiar with the passage, you'll notice that it has some overlap with one of the messages preached here a couple weeks ago in Psalm 51, and I'll actually be preaching on that text tonight as well. I pray that the Lord will still bless you. Second Samuel chapter 12, after David sinned with Bathsheba. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. 
And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such little things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. Because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be my, thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also, also, has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. Let us pray. Father God, we, we come to you now humble and aware of our sins, Lord, yet we come to you before your throne with confidence because not because of any boast that we have in our own selves, in our own righteousness, O oh God, but only because of that righteousness that we have in Christ. Lord, as Reales has reminded us, let us always be thankful. Let, us, let our hearts be filled with thanksgiving for what Christ has done for us. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for life. Thank you for the newborn child, oh God, in this congregation. Thank you for your care for this congregation, its well-being, Lord. Um, we thank you that you are a God There's a great physician. You are the, our creator. You knit us in our mother's womb. You know us. And you are a God able to heal completely, Lord. And so I pray for that there would be healing in this congregation for your glorious sake. Not, let us not be like those who were following Jesus, asking for sign after sign and, and 
He gave them bread. He gave them wine. He gave them sign after sign. But they missed the point. They asked for more and more bread. Not realizing that he did those things to show them, to point them to the Father. To point them to that he was the bread of life, Lord. Lord, help us to understand this. And yet still we pray for healing in our midst, that you would be glorified. Healing for people like Lauren with cancer, Lord. For her Aunt Zella, Lord. Um, recovering from and weak from her operation, Lord. And, and we pray for little Anita as well. And her mother of God. And all of the Wilson family. And that they would, their faith would be strong. That they would bless you always with their lips, O oh God. Heal the sick, the broken, the needy. Lord, we pray for the, the nursing home in the town that has some members with COVID, Lord, and pray that for healing them, you would be in their midst, Lord. But again, as always, we pray that you would not just heal our bodies, Lord, but you would restore our souls and our bodies in right relationship with you, O oh God. For what, what does the man gain if he is healed of one illness in this life, but then is cast into hell? Lord, make ourselves, Lord, let us be right with you. We pray for the poor and the trodden down. We pray for those especially suffering in the cold, cold days of winter. We pray that you would sustain them during this time. But again, we pray for their souls even more so. Lord, stir up our hearts. The need for sharing the gospel evangelizing, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations, Lord. Lord, the, the wind blows as the wind blows, the Spirit moves as the Spirit moves, as the Spirit wills. We cannot tell which direction it will go, but Lord, I pray that it shall come to Sudbury this morning, that you shall come to Sudbury this morning, bring revival to your people, Cut their hearts over their sin. Quicken their souls. Revive us, O God, I pray. We need you now. Turn our hearts to you this morning now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, Jacob, we welcome you and the Lord bless as you open the word to us today. Thank you, brother. In your bulletin, you'll notice that the title I have for this sermon is the uh, the depths of sin and the grace of God in David's life. My wife looked at that and rebuked me. <laughs> she said it was too long. <laughs> she proposed, you are the man, uh, which is a better title, I'll admit. So <laughs> she didn't write the sermon, but I'll give her credit for that. <laughs> Something to work on. The story of David and Bathsheba is 
a striking one. The great depths of sin to which one man would go to satisfy his folly. The lustful blindness of it all. Piling up sin upon sin to cover up one evening's desire. David becomes the prime example of what James warns against when he says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. David, the man tempted as he was lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Today, as we explore his story, my hope is that you would experience the very grace of God in his forgiveness. Grace that would stir you and every one of us here to go and sin no more. As we consider the depths of David's sin, let us also never forget the greater mercy of God. But lastly, may God's mercy never cause us to be so relaxed in our fight against sin. Rather, let us remember that sin always has consequences, even sin that is forgiven. So to start, let us consider David's sin now. But to really do this, we need to take a step back and use a wider lens for a second before looking at this word or that word and how they emphasize David's sin in, the, in this narrative. And even before looking at the story just of David and Bathsheba in chapter 11, let's take a step back, look at the meta-narrative, the narrative that runs throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I'm doing a brief history lesson, so bear with me here. First and second Samuel follow the events of the book of Judges. There, Israel, God's chosen people, whom he delivered out of Egypt to make his, into his own great nation, these Israelites were caught in a cycle of greater and greater sin. They were spiraling downwards. The re reoccurring mantra of this book is, in those days everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? Everything today is about me, 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 I'm... I'm the arbiter of what's right and wrong in my life. In this way, they rejected God. The Lord who delivered them out of Egypt as king, they reject him as king over them. They reject his authority in their lives, and instead they call upon the prophet Samuel to anoint a human king over them so they could be just like the other nations around them. If you know the story, this, of course, does not end well. A man who looked like the perfect king, Saul, who's head and shoulders above the rest, he becomes king, but though he looked like a king, he did not walk as the king of God's people. And so God rejects him. Enter, stage, enter David, stage left. 
of David, Samuel says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord says, I've provided for myself a king. Referring to one among the sons of Jesse. Paul quotes God saying of David, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. It was the Lord who raised David up to be his king over Israel. David, a mere shepherd boy, the youngest of eight brothers. You already know David goes on to defeat Goliath. God delivers him there. Just as before that, God delivered him from the mouths of bears and lions as a shepherd boy. God had been with him all of his life. This was a man who knew God's power, his faithfulness in his life. And more than that, returning to 2 Samuel 2 here, or Second Samuel here, the chapters preceding, the chapters coming up to David's sin, these detailed the most amazing blessings upon a man of God, upon David here. Chapter 5, we see after God makes him king at the age of 30, David captures and builds up the city of Jerusalem, the stronghold of Zion, the city of David, it becomes called. It says, David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. The Lord then gives him great victory over the Philistines, the very people God had initially set up Saul to defeat. But instead, when Saul is rejected, Saul dies fighting against them. Chapter 6 and 7, David brings the ark of the Lord into Jerusalem and acknowledges to Saul's daughter saying, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me, David, as prince over Israel, over all of his people. This is a man whom God covenants with. God promises that he will make out of David a great name. He shall give him rest from his enemies. The Lord says that he will make you a house, your offspring, your throne, established forever. This is all in chapter 7. The Lord promised David a son whose kingdom would be established forever, that the Lord shall make the house of David and his kingdom Made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. Can you imagine being a king told that your kingdom and your offspring shall rule and reign forever? And again, chapters 8 through 10, just before David and Bathsheba in chapter 11, David is once more gaining victory over all the enemies of Israel by God, whom they've been struggling with for years and years upon years and generations. God is granting him peace on all sides, as he promised, as he defeats the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and the Syrians. God's promise was sure. But this is the context in which David falls. This is the context in which chapter 11 starts. In the spring of the year, the or as the KJV says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. Where was the king? Where was King David? 
the anointed one of God. David remained at Jerusalem at the time when any other king would go to battle. And it all goes downhill from there. You know the story, and Nathan's parable that we just read mirrors it. David and the rich man become one. While Uriah and Bathsheba both represent the poor man and his little lamb interchangeably. David sees her. Desire grows and uninhibited, unchecked, unslain, it becomes sin. He takes her as the rich man took the poor man's lamb. He sleeps with her. A thing that was Uriah's right alone. Just it was the poor man's comfort to have that little lamb lying in his bosom as precious as to him as a daughter. And when David finds out that she has conceived, and he knows his sin shall be exposed, maybe that would be different today with abortion so common. But that doesn't come into their mind. He tries to cover it at first. He tries to entice Uriah to sleep with his wife. But of course, Uriah's righteousness further condemns David by claiming how could Uriah be with his wife while David's army was in the field at war with the Ammonites. So what is he do with Uriah the Hittite? Well, since Uriah wouldn't sleep with his wife anytime soon, and the pregnancy was advancing on, David kills him, or has him killed. It's a technicality that, quite frankly, does not matter in the eyes of the Lord. And He has his own loyal servant killed, a man who is later included in the list of recording David's mighty men. The picture of David's life leading up to this moment was grace, Upon grace. Here, though, he forgets all of that in the stumbling darkness of his sin. Of course, the cleverness of Nathan's parable is that David's condemnation is plain, even to himself. How he feels the indignation, the righteous anger that he directs against the rich man is correlated to how God, David should likewise expect God to feel about David for his sin. Everything that he did was wrong and deserved a severe punishment. He says, this is his own judgment. As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, the revelation that David is the man, he is that man, swipes the rug right out from under his feet. It was David, not the rich man, who killed Uriah and took his wife. David was the one who did what was evil in the Lord's sight. His fall comes at the height of his reign, victory after victory the Lord had given him. The Lord promises offspring, a house, a dynasty, a kingdom, forever. What more could he want? In the same way, verses 7 and 9, the Lord 
speaking through David, reminds David of all that he has done for him. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. If you read the Psalms, you'll realize just how often David is in life-threatening danger and how he feels about that and just the dire situations that he's in that God always faithfully delivers him from. And I gave you your master's house, his wives and the house of Israel and Judah. Verse 8, And if it had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I would have given you so much more. I've given you everything. I would have given you so much more. Now, I invite all of you to imagine you are the courtroom, okay? You are the, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. We've seen the evidence, right? We've piled up David's sin. It looks all the uglier next to God's abundant grace in his life. Let me ask you the question. Which one of you, who among us, can cast that first stone? What I'm saying is, this narrative most assuredly places David as the central object of God's wrath here. And with the parable and the events of David and Bathsheba, it is reasonable for us to feel a sense of righteous indignation. But again, I must ask, who among us can cast that first stone? I do not know if you've heard this before, but there, there used to be a lot of well-known, but not necessarily so theologically sound preachers or televangelists who would try to encourage their congregation by comparing them to David, okay? You know, the, through God, you too can defeat the, the Goliaths in your life. Uh, you can pass that math test, right? Now, another preacher named Matt Chandler got pretty famous one year for responding to these other wolves, and I don't use that term lightly, by telling his congregation flat out, you are not David, okay? You are not the hero of the story. I'm not David, you're not David. The point was that David himself wasn't even the he hero of the story. The Bible isn't about him, and it's not about you either. It wasn't David that got the most glory out of defeating Goliath. It was the God in whom he placed that trust. The God who gave him courage, strength, perfect aim. Christ is the hero of the Bible. To God be the glory. But it is a book, and it is the word of God, and it is revelation to us. What does that make us then? Well, we're certainly not David as the hero of the story, 
But in our passage today, David's life can still be an example for us, just not necessarily in the way that we might have hoped. David had all of God's goodness. He was in the prime of his life. God gave him everything, yet he still sinned. In this chapter alone, it says that David, verse 9, despised the commandment of the Lord. Verse 10, thou hast despised me. That is God. In verse 14, depending on the translation, it says that through his actions, he has either caused others, the enemies of God, to abhor or blaspheme against God, as per the KJV. Or as the ESV puts it, by David's sin, David has utterly scorned the Lord. Now, I don't want you to put your hands up, but you can answer this as you reflect on your own life. Have you so also scorned the grace of God? It's so easy for us to see the injustice in this world. Abortion is at an all-time high with how easy it is to access in these days, at least in Canada. Our public schools don't just accept LGBT, QABC, etc. They also are eager to promote it, to teach it, to defend it. Men expect to be called women, while women expect to be called men as they reject God's authority in their lives. Atheism and the rebellion against a God they don't believe in abounds. Good is called good. Rather, good is called evil and evil is called good. That is a sign of the times. These should cause us all concern. Don't doubt that. God cares about the justice of the nations. He cares about social justice. Not necessarily some, how some might define it or address it today. But God also has an intense keen interest in the individuals of those who make up this nation. Let's talk about you for a second. After all, First Peter tells us that judgment begins first in the house of God. Are you as equally disturbed about the darkness and evil out there so much as the darkness and evil that runs through every one of our hearts. Hast thou cast out the beam from thine own eye first? Like David, think upon the blessings of God in your lives. Remember that in him we live and move and have our being. It is from him that we have gained and continue to have the breath of life in our bodies. Is it not by our Father's provision that every day you've had food to eat, water to drink? What about spiritual blessings? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us all with with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1. Adopted as children of the Most High God. Redemption through the blood of Christ and the forgiveness of sins from the richest to the poorest. Who can say God has not blessed them abundantly by His grace? And if you are sitting there thinking otherwise... 
I pray now that God would open your eyes. Not only to what He has given you, but also to that wrath and the condemnation that He has restrained from bringing upon you. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. And the folly of the sinner is that they think that they are on solid ground, but in reality, outside of Christ, we are nothing more than like those who are suspended over a cauldron, let's say. And all that is restraining us, holding us back, is one thin strand, a spider's web, if you will. Now that, will, that strand is, that's God's grace, and it's not going to break unless he lets it. It is being strengthened by his kindness, his patience, his compassion, his mercy. But Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Who can say how much time they have left on this earth? Who can say when that thin strand shall snap? Christians, do not think that I am leaving you out of this, or myself. How many of you are living passive, fruitless, lukewarm, disobedient, Christian lives? And maybe you're wondering how passivity could be disobedient. Or you're worried that such language sounds like legalism, and I'm trying to impose laws on you like a Pharisee. But no, if you look at what Jesus and the New Testament authors demand or expect out of Christians, you realize pretty quickly that you cannot just drift through the Christian life. The Puritan John Owen says, Be killing sin, or it shall be killing you. I heard the spiritual life described as like swimming up a river against the flow with consistent effort of spiritual duties. And again, this is by God's strength. We make progress up that river, clinging to him. But if we let go, or if we're doing nothing, in those waters, they pull us further and further away from him. We are in a spiritual war. That's the language of the New Testament. Do you know what happens when one soldier isn't pulling their weight or taking things seriously? Yes, God is the victory, and yes, our salvation is assured if our trust is in the blood of Jesus Christ, to wash us clean, and we trust in him alone as our Lord and Savior, but even still, you need to be taking up your cross. 
You need to be praying, communing with God. You need to be regularly taking part in the communion and fellowship of the saints. The Christian life is not an isolated one. We need brothers and sisters pouring out their lives into us, which also means we need to be pouring our lives into them. Regularly gathering with the saints. Your fellow saints need your prayers of support. They need your words of encouragement. They need your rebukes, your advice, your service, and your love. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That is how sin works. It is deceitful. It doesn't look so harmful. It looks harmless. Are you doing your part, church? The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those to devour. A passive Christian cannot remain in such a state. John Piper wrote a book called What Jesus Demands from the World. And I highly recommend it because it highlights 50 uncompromising, non-negotiable demands that Jesus makes upon all of us. Repent. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, all of your being. Strive to enter through that narrow gate. Are you striving? Make disciples of all nations. Do you believe that you can do that without any effort? That it will just happen naturally? And not just that, do you think you can do that on your own strength? That's the other ditch. You're either doing it you're not doing it at all, or you're trying to do it on your own strength, which results in the same lack of fruit. Are you praying for the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit in your life to enable you to obey God and kill sin in your life? As Paul says in Romans, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes, David's sin was grave. It was awful. It was utterly despising of the great God who loved him. Yes, Christians, brothers and sisters, and yes, even those who are not saved, who are aware here in our midst today, you have done wrong against the holy God. You have not lived as you ought to have. You have done what you should not do. But just like David, there is one hope for you. David did not make any excuse for himself, okay? He confessed his wrong, his guilt, his shame, his wretchedness, his sin against God alone. And there... He found forgiveness. Verse 13 of our text, I have sinned against the Lord. 
As, and Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. The wages of sin are death, and with the revelation of the New Testament, we, want, we understand that this is not mere darkness or nothingness. We see what is referred to as the second death in that lake that burns with fire and sulfur prepared for the, Lord, for the de- devil and his angels. Even still, there is grace. There is forgiveness. David's sin was forgiven because he humbled himself. He confessed his sin. He trusted in God. Christ, the one on the throne of God and of the Lamb, says it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Without payment. That is what grace is, okay? By God's grace, you can be like David in the forgiveness of your sins. If you are thirsty for life-giving water, if you are thirsty for God and His forgiveness, it is there. The words of this scripture point to it. It is in Christ, in His blood, in His resurrection, in His sacrifice on our behalf, our sin nailed to that tree with Him, dying with Him. Christ died that your sins would die with him. He rose that you too would rise with him into the newness of life. That is our hope. Before concluding, I have one more point I want to make from this text. But I want to warn you that it is not because I want you to despair. Again, Christ is our hope. It is in His strength that we come into salvation. The wings of God are broad. It is only because I want you to be stirred in your fight against sin. That you would endure to the end as one who has conquered. If you go to the, the, the early chapters of Revelation, the churches, at the end of it, almost always, it says... That the one who conquers, that is the one who shall receive their due reward. That is our hope. But you must endure. And again, you can only endure by Christ's strength in you, the Spirit working in you. So my point in observation is this, that despite God's amazing grace, there is still consequences to David's sin. Interestingly, God sends the prophet Nathan to David after his sin. The irony is that before, when Nathan spoke the words of God's covenant with David, he promised David rest from his enemies. But here in verses 9 and 10, because David struck down Uriah by the sword of the Ammonites, by the children of Ammon, so also shall the sword never leave his house. Verse 11, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. 
it's quite striking after the covenant about God's, about David's own house, about his dynasty, about his kingdom that shall rule forever. From the time of God's covenant with David, there is rest from outside enemies of the land. But because of David's sin, we see strife and evil rise up in Israel itself from David's own household. We see this fulfilled in the lives of his sons in the rest of Second Samuel and First Kings. The one brother Absalom kills the other Amnon for his sin against Tamar. Absalom himself stirs up a rebellion against David that temporarily splits the kingdom. A sign of what was more to come as Israel got further and further into its sin. Absalom even goes so far as laying with David's concubines in the sight of all of Israel, fulfilling what Nathan warns about here in verse 11. Even after Absalom dies, his other brother Adonijah in 1 Kings fosters a similar unsuccessful rebellion against his father David. All of this comes as a bitter fruit of David's sin. Furthermore, when Nathan pronounced the Davidic covenant in chapter 7, he promised David an heir whose kingdom was everlasting. But this time, what does Nathan come to tell David? Verse 14, Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. As the ESV says, you have, because by this thing you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child also that is born shall surely die. David's hope was in his son ruling and reigning forever. Instead, his child dies within seven days. Now we know Jesus Christ ultimately becomes the son of David who fulfills this promise. But still, in this story, is it not crushing? Yes, God was gracious upon David without end. Yes, Nathan the prophet says, The Lord also has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Yes, David was forgiven in full. For his sin, and it was not counted against him. Psalm 103, David says, the same man, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. He goes on in verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise God. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Nevertheless, David sowed sin. And so he reaps it too. He reaps the consequence of it. Brothers and sisters, every sin has its consequence. Yes, in Christ, the sins of a Christian do not lead them to that second death. Our hope is sure. But that does not mean that we should continue in sin. Shall we sin that grace should abound? By no means. 
Every sin adds to misery and evil and darkness of this world. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Humans are sinful. That's what happened during the fall. Do not think that just because you commit sin in the darkness of your own room, that you shall get away with it. That no one else was hurt by such sin. Or that no one else is affected by it. Sin breeds sin. Do not think that the sins in your heart or, the, or your mind shall not surface in some way or another. Sin reaps sin and death. We live before the face of God. Psalm 139 says, Where can we flee from his presence? He is in the heavens and he is in the depths. When 1 Kings 15.5 says, taking a look at David's life as a whole, when the author is comparing all the other kings to the righteousness of David, it says that David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything, that he commanded him all the days of his life. David was blameless except, it says, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Don't ask me about the census. Anyways, this sin brought about the deaths of thousands, if you read the books. If you follow the trail of bloodshed of the house of David. Am I saying that if disaster comes upon one person, it is because he or she is a greater sinner than anyone else? No, certainly not. Jesus references, makes that clear when he talks about the Tower of Siloam that fell. Or the blood of the martyrs that were mixed with the sacrifices under Pilate. No, certainly not. The correlation between sin and disaster is, is not always clear. But such disasters should and they do remind us of the fallenness of this world. We can say with confidence that sin brings death. I've said it again and again. Death entered into the world through one man, Adam. And through him it came upon the entire race. The land was cursed. The people became doomed. Brothers and sisters, after Jesus heals a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, telling him to get up, take up your bed, and walk. So he did. Later on, Jesus tells him, See, you are well. Sin no more. Then nothing worse may happen to you. And again, that's mostly referencing what is to come in the second life, in the, in the resurrection of the dead. All of us are resurrected, Christians and non-Christians. We are all resurrected. Why? To be judged. And with the judgment comes, in Christ, blessings, rewards, eternal life. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Again, is there always a clear indication that one sin leads one person into one particular misery? Sometimes it is clear. Sometimes, though, it's like Job. Blameless before God, it says. But experiencing a trial 
a test. Still always in the hands of God. Do not sin that grace would abound. That is the point. Go and sin no more. Do not give into that sin which clings so closely. Its desire is to take you, to have you. It says of Cain. For they that are after the flesh do the minds, do mind the things of the flesh. This is Romans 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Brothers and sisters, if you have sinned greatly, or even if it is a small sin in your eyes, which is... It's not small. Confess it to God. Be like David. Cast yourself upon his sustaining grace, for it is your only hope. The son of David, Jesus Christ, the righteous, is sitting now at the right hand of God. There slain for you, but risen too. You can come to that throne of mercy. Let us in prayer now cast ourselves at the feet of of the one true God whom we have offended in our sins, but whose mercy remains forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word says that a, contra- a broken and a contrite heart Thou shalt not despise. Cast us not away from thy presence, O God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of salvation. And renew our right spirit within us, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.